Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. In today's show, Chip Frederick joins me. We'll talk Vanderbilt baseball. Today's news presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at SB Injury Law, and please tell them you heard about them on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Vanderbilt travels to Ole Miss for a three-game baseball series this weekend starting Friday. Friday's game at 6 Central, Saturday's game is at 4 Central and Sundays at 2. The first and third games will be shown on the SEC Network. The middle game will be shown on the SEC Network Plus, which, of course, you can access through the ESPN app. Chip Frederick appears on our guest line that is presented by our friend Scott and Missy Tannen at Bowling Branch. They're Vanderbilt graduates, and they have run this amazing business for years I have used their product for about seven years, and the sheets are just phenomenal. You have to try them yourself. I can tell you they are made of 100% rain-fed organic cotton. Now, I don't know why that makes a difference, but I can tell you it does because I sleep on them every night. They are unbelievable. It's one of those things that if I go visit a friend or stay in a hotel somewhere, sleep somewhere else, my experience is never as good as it is in my own bed. Try them for free. You get 30 days. You can return them after that. You won't want to. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY. Get $50 off your first set of sheets, and you can thank me later. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Chip Frederick joins us today as we talk Commodore baseball, and it is really getting interesting down the stretch here, Chip. Yeah, it is, Chris. Good talking to you. It's it's going to be, uh, we've been talking about this weekend uh, with Ole Miss, uh, Vanderbilt going down to Ole Miss for quite some time. I've been kind of circling that weekend, and I wish I could actually go because I think it'll be a tremendous weekend and an atmosphere that's pretty much rivaled by not many in the SEC in the country uh, as far as what goes on down in Oxford. But this is uh, going to be a telling series. I think it's a good series for Vanderbilt to be playing now. School's out. Weather's warming up. They're going to be playing in a hostile environment in front of, uh, you know, 12, 13, 14,000 people where I guess COVID doesn't exist and there's no social distancing at all and there's no mask. If you go down there and you're a Vanderbilt fan, you're going to, you're going to be like, what world am I in? But it's, it's a great town. Uh, I would say, you know, Oxford, I was talking to somebody the other day, Oxford's probably changed more than any SEC town you could argue Nashville has changed, so I'm going to eliminate that just for the size. But of all the towns, the small town feel over the past 20 years, some some have told me that you wouldn't even recognize Oxford, Mississippi, and it's uh, you know the crowd's going to be into it, and they're going to be passionate and and looking forward to some good weather down there and uh, a weekend where they get all the games in. But no, this is. This is an Ole Miss team that's kind of a it it been limping along a little bit. They they had a a weekend where they you know had a great success and had a sweep, but for the last five weekends uh, they've lost the series, which is a little uncharacteristic. And you think about how you know the the feeling of how their season has gone, but it really hadn't gone that way 
um, like I said, for the last five. They, they had an impressive sweep of South Carolina, but they go down to College Station last weekend and they lose two out of three. So they've bounced around a little bit. They've had the injury bug on their pitching staff, and I'm sure we'll go on to that, just like Vanderbilt's had the injuries. But a, a huge blow for the Rebels uh, when their ace goes down and is going to have, have Tommy John as soon as possible. So it'll be a good weekend, uh, hopefully, for the Commodores and a good atmosphere to be in and almost a super regional type uh, feel, I'm sure it's going to be. And, uh, and I wish, again, I wish I could be there. Ole Miss has the oddest record because it is 34 and 14, and yet it's lost five of its last six weekend series. So it's five of six. Yeah, you're right. That's instead of four out of five, you're, you're correct. Yeah, it, it just doesn't add up, doesn't make sense. And you know, maybe it's because the expectations they started out so well last year. Weren't they 20 and 0 when the season ended for COVID? Something uh, like that. Yeah. Yes. And so, you know, they, they start out hot again and, and uh, you know, it's just one of those things that things haven't added up for them. They've lost some close ball games. They've, uh, you know, they've, they've been in most of them, but you know, they go to Florida and they lose two out of three, a uh, couple single digit, you know, lost six to five in the, in the Sunday game. Uh, they lost two out of three to, to Arkansas. Mississippi State took two out of three, which is a big blow to them. It was in Starkville. And, uh, you know, losing two out of three to LSU at home was really a surprise because LSU has kind of been limping along all season long, and that kind of rejuvenated uh, the Tigers. Yeah, and it's not helped that Ole Miss has now got its best pitcher hurt and done for the year, and – Maybe it's best hitter Tim Elko has been sidelined. He's come back. He's pinch hitting a little bit. But you got to acknowledge that injuries have been a big part of what has gone wrong down there. Yeah, and, and you know, Bianco is kind of looking around probably like Tim Corbin is and saying, you know, you know, you got to go with who you're going with. You can't use the woe as me. I think Tim Corbin in his press conference this week kind of said you got to move on and next man up mentality. But when you have a guy who's taken off your pitching staff uh, like that in Hoagland, it's, it's, it's a huge blow with the number of innings that he was logging. And, you know, once again, we're seeing the Tommy John situation, which that could be a whole nother discussion. But I, I really do think, Chris, I mean, this is just case in point that once again we're seeing – and, you know, Tim – talked about this as far as whether it was uh, time off from last year. A lot of kids didn't get to play summer ball as much as they used to and didn't log the innings. And then the fall season was kind of up in the air when COVID really hit a lot of places and had to shut down and maybe the preseason work didn't get put in. But this this Tommy John stuff, you know, I, I read up on this and in, in speaking of Hoagland, uh, you know, 55% of all the Tommy John surgeries that are being performed these days are happening from kids age 12 to 17 or 18. What, 12? 12? 12 to, there's some 12-year-olds who are having Tommy John surgeries. Uh, and, you know, 50, 55% I read is in that age group. And I'm telling you, and I've been on this bandwagon before, and I'm not saying I'm against it because if I were pitching and it were available – Back then, I probably would have done it, but this driveline stuff, these arm factories where you go into this warehouse and there's a bunch of kids sitting there around you and you you build up and you work with medicine balls and you work with heavy balls and you do the long toss and you do the regimen and they analyze your motion on a computer and they break it down 
and I'm not saying driveline the company. So don't, let's don't get there's there's different sprouts of this. Driveline is the most famous uh, as far as where they get these kids to join the 90 mile club and the 90 mile an hour club. And a lot of these kids are doing this and you're seeing bumps of kids throwing 80 miles an hour as a junior in high school and their senior year, they're throwing 92, 93 and they're having 13, 14 mile an hour velocity increases. And that puts a lot of uh, the torque that you do when you do this theory of, and I'm not going to go into too much semantics, but it's, it's literally how you push off the rubber, you set your foot, everything has to be falling forward. And it's, it's almost like the best way I can describe it is a pole vaulter when they stick the pole in the ground and they jump, it, it is a, it is a, torque of the waist and the arm and there's a lot of pressure on the elbow and when you're thrown with that much torque and you're doing that you're going to see a significant amount of elbow injuries and so it's the way i explained it to a coach the other day it's it's high risk high reward and and a lot of these kids you're going you just i'm wondering how many gunner hoaglands you're going to see uh on down the pike of high school and college kids who are doing this and having elbow problems, uh, that's where it usually the torque is happening. I mean, you know, you're, we haven't yet seen it because it's only been around a couple years, but you're just wondering. And then the kids say, Chris, well, I'll just go have Tommy John, the ulnar collateral ligament, the UCL. Well, I'll just get it replaced. And, you know, Walker Buehler did it in 2015, and look what he's doing. He's throwing harder than he ever did. So it, it's um, it's something to look out for, but it's a shame because that guy's a good pitcher and it's a huge blow to the Ole Miss staff going forward, not only this weekend, but going forward uh, as far as, you know, the, their, their chances in a regional, super regional and getting to Omaha. Are we doing something wrong in general in baseball? Because I know that this year you got the COVID factor and I think that's had a lot to do with the increased injuries because people's conditioning regimens and training got screwed up and I don't even know how you begin to adjust for that but between the injuries that you're seeing at historic proportions at the major league level and just all the stuff that you talked about the kids are expected to do and it it just you know sounds more like a business than a than a game that you play for fun and I guess that's it right I mean I'm not I'm not trying to romanticize something um there that, that maybe that's that's been going on for a while, right? Baseball's always been a business in some sense, but it just seems like it's a very distinctly different time and age. And I wonder if between the injuries and the burnout, um, if we're not doing some things long term that we're going to wish we hadn't. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know if we're going to know that until a couple years. I mean, throwing hard is the name of the game. If you're six foot three, six foot two, I mean, you look at Vanderbilt's roster and Vanderbilt. Uh, wins the get off the bus award every weekend when they walk in. I mean, just big kids, six three, six four, daunting looking kids, uh, and that's what they're looking for. And that's what you know. The, the, the name of the game now is velocity. It is size and velocity. And and I saw a kid pitch for UT, and he's he's still playing. I looked him up the other day. He was a six foot four, five string bean. Not to be critical, but that's just tall, thin kid. Played for UT. Uh, I was sitting behind a scout when they pitched in Nashville. They played in Nashville two years ago. This kid threw a pitch, and I wish I knew his name, and I'm sorry. The first pitch he threw was 101 on the stadium cam. And I made a comment to my son. I said, well, the stadium cam's broken. 
there's no way I hadn't seen a guy break a hundred in this place. And I just so happened a scout was in front of me from the Yankees and he turned to me and he said, stadium cam is not broken. That kid was throwing 80 miles an hour, 18 months ago. What? And he's throwing a hundred and one. And uh, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't have his name, but he was just a tall, lanky kid uh, who played in the summer. Yeah, he he improved his velocity 20 miles an hour, 20 miles an hour, in in 16 months. And so you're seeing a little bit of that. So to answer your question, as I digress, uh, you know, are we doing something wrong? Gosh, Chris, I mean, I, I, the it's just the emphasis of this joining the 90 mile owner club. And why does that matter? Why does pitching throwing 90 miles an hour plus matter. Well, it does. And the reason why is your reaction time. These kids are being programmed that instead of being Tom Glavin and Greg Maddox and learning how to pitch, not throw, but pitch, there's a difference. And these kids think that velocity and they're being told and they're being rewarded with scholarships by throwing hard. There's a huge difference between 91, 92, and then 95. It's just science. It's spin rate. And you, if you're a catcher, if you're a, pit, I mean, a batter, excuse me, you can catch up to 91, 92 second time around in the order. You get used to it, and you get your timing. 95 and 96, you're basically guessing if you're a hitter. And 100, you're really guessing. It is just you're picking out the red dot. You're trying to find the red dot of the seams when it comes in. And that's how... The harder you throw over 90 miles an hour, especially with a, with a cut in it and some movement, is is you're almost unstoppable. So 91, 92 is really almost not good enough. 95 is you're you're going to make some money and you're going to get drafted, and that's where we are today. Okay, so with that, how does Kumar Rocker get hit last weekend the way he was? Yeah. You know, that that was – Rocker and Leiter, I was discussing this also with a, with a former player uh, last week. With Rocker, you know, he's such a big body, and he's coming at you with – you know, he's half – he's so much further away, his stride rather than Leiter. And, uh, you know, he's always seemed to be – I would rather hit against Leiter, to be honest, or attempt to hit, rather than Rocker. Because Leiter kind of rears back almost like mechanical, and here it comes – and boom, it's it's on you. But, you know, Corbin has talked about this different stuff. But, you know, we talk about spin rate, which is all new to me uh, as far as wh- how the ball comes in on a spin. But I, I don't know, Chris, that 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 was shocking to me the way he got hit a couple times like that in, in that ball game. And then a couple weeks before that. And, you know, I think Rocker could probably throw a 99, 98, but I don't think he needs to, and I don't think he wants to because he can control it better in the zone. But, yeah, I, it, it kind of shows you also the the Southeastern Conference hitters. I mean, this is a talented league, and, you know, you got some guys who can catch up with it. And one other thing I'll add to that, my comment about 94, 95, is second time around the order, again, you get timed up with it. If you don't have movement at that, it makes all the difference in the world. If you got something that's got some wiggle on it at 94, 95, it's almost impossible to hit um, and, and consistently at least. But if it's straight at that speed, it's, it is much easier. And hitters, the good hitters will tell you that something that has a little wiggle to it as it comes in is a heck of a lot different than something that's straight. 
This season of the podcast presented by my friend Jody Jones, DDS. Jody's office is at 55 Music Square East. Go see him for your general and cosmetic dentistry needs. Jody's clientele is just amazing. He is the dentist to movie stars, to all kinds of entertainers, to athletes. Jody is the guy that they go to because the service is unparalleled. You will get your work done in what is truly a spa-like atmosphere. I've never seen a dentist office like it. Jody is so well-respected, again, that he is the dentist to the stars. Go see Jody today. You will see why he is so well-respected. He, again, a former Commodore football player and a Vanderbilt booster. Tell him you appreciate his support of the Vandy Sports Podcast. He has made this season possible. And tell him you heard about his practice here on our podcast. What do you make of the situation with Jack Leiter? We're all operating with limited information, but what do you expect to see from him this weekend and the rest of the season? Or do you expect to see anything? Man, I'm, your guess is as good as mine, and they've been real tight-lipped about it, Chris. They, they, and and for, for obvious reasons. I mean, you know, you wonder if this is a decision that you don't really know what it is. I, I, I spoke with you that I thought if it was elbow issue – some sort of Tommy John issue that velocity would have been an issue the last couple weekends and you would have seen a tail off or there was a moment where someone saw him grimace or someone saw him hold his elbow. Cause usually when you tear that or you strain it, you don't necessarily have to tear it. You see that. Um, I would rather have Tommy John. I'd rather have elbow problems. I had elbow problems my senior year and got through the season. I was in a whole different situation than lighter or rocker or any of those type, but I'd rather have elbow uh, issues than shoulder shoulder can be much, you know, the success rate of Tommy John surgery is about 85 to 90% now. So that, that is something that, you know, if you're going to have one of the two, but you know, they've been really, really uh, tight lipped about it. I expect to see him. I would be shocked if we didn't just based on kind of the body language I know you asked the question. We're trying to pry, and Tim did his uh, best to let you know. What did he say? Both. Uh, you asked him a question. Yeah, I got a chuckle out of his answer. Um, right, right. I said, are you, "Are you trying? Are you telling me that he's you're pushing further towards making a decision, or further towards the possibility of him pitching?" And he said both, which <laughs> gave me a chuckle. I think I know what he meant, but I mean, they are so tight-lipped with stuff and. And I don't blame him. I'm, I'm not judging. Sometimes with Tim, it's hard to know when he's telling you straight, when he is using a little bit of gamesmanship, or when he's just trying to be optimistic. And I say that without judgment, right? You were in yeah. a you're in a very tough spot with that well, because I, if you because if you say you know we're really worried and you know blah 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 then that's become going to become a soundbite within 60 seconds. It's going to hit Twitter. And then if he throws, it's going to be, ah, oh, well, he said this, and he shouldn't have known that, and he's putting his guy at risk. I'm not saying any of that to judge Tim, not, not at all, because I understand the spot he was in. But what I'm saying is it just, in this spot, sometimes it can be very difficult to take language and then make a takeaway from that with any sort of certainty. But anybody who knows, uh, I think Kyle Peterson talked about it several weeks ago, that 
Tim's philosophy uh, as far as when you go when you go play for him, the whole you know I'm handing my son if if I'm the father of Jack Leiter, I'm handing my son off to you for four years, and you know you're almost going to be a second dad, and I don't say boo right if I'm his dad I I, I don't say uh, I stay out of the way. There's no, I mean even back when I played there was. <laughs> there were some parents who would call the coach, coach Roy Muburn, who was a coach, my coach and complain and all that. And you're like, really? I mean, this isn't high school. Now I'm not saying I, I, I'm, I'm going to back up here a little bit, but I, I'm because I had a discussion with someone this week. I think Al Leiter has been consulted on this. Do you not? I mean, Oh, I, I think, look, I, I said I, this I yesterday. Tim, Al Leiter is at all the games Right. That his son pitches. He's at a lot, if not most of the ones where his son doesn't pitch. I oh, think yeah, it would I, be I, I think it would be very difficult for Tim to make a decision that his dad was not in agreement with. Right. And they know each other. They had a relationship before uh Tim says he had the relationship with Al Leiter before he, he even knew that maybe he knew he had a son, but before even knew his son's name. Uh, so, you know, Jack Leiter, they talked about this. He was gonna, he thought he was going to be a, a second baseman, Chris. I mean, he, he grew, he sprouted his, what, sophomore, junior year, and he kind of just came onto the scene, and then all of a sudden you're like, here's this kid who's improved his velocity, and he's the son of a former pitcher, pro pitcher, and his uncle pitched, and we're going to, you know, and then the next thing you know, he's here, and he's blossomed, and, boom, he's going to be a top five pick in the draft. So, you know, it, it's not like he threw a lot of innings last year. I'm not sure. I guess there wasn't any summer league, so he didn't throw any, you know, in the summer. Comes in the fall. That's kind of messed up with COVID. You know, I'm not sure how much work was done that could be done then. And then maybe he's just hit a hit a wall here and he needed some rest, and I hope that's the case. But you're talking about a multi multi million dollar decision here with the kid. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm not guessing. I'm pretty much guaranteeing that Jack Leiter, uh, dad, Al has been involved in the situation in that case. I think Tim would respect that. What I, what I don't like, and I don't get on social media a whole lot. I, I just happened to see something when I got went down in a hole where on a Twitter comment and they, some Mississippi State fans were. Oh, yeah. That were, was a bad were, rabbit hole to, to watch yesterday. You know, uh, talking about the arm factory of Vanderbilt and, and, and somebody mentioned, you know, well, the 123 pitches and the no hitter against South Carolina is coming back to haunt Vanderbilt. And, you know, go to Vanderbilt and, you, you know, they just got there a dime a dozen. They can just get somebody. And it was just a bunch of trash. Uh, and, oh, it got worse than that. But oh, anyway. it did. Well, I stopped, oh, yes. I stopped watching it. So, or looking at it. So, no, I, I just think um, it'll tell you a lot if 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 he doesn't go two weekends in a row, you wonder if it's something that's really serious that we don't know about. If he pitches this weekend, uh, you know that's that's another thing, and you just wonder if they're gonna, you know, there's this weekend, there's next week in Kentucky, and unless they can pinpoint something that yes, there's something that's strained, and he just, you know, what have you, but if it's something, I'll tell you this much: if it's something major. Uh, this pitching staff, I mean, you know, when you have this um, coaching staff with Brownie and, and Tim will not endanger the kid uh, at one bet to to have him pitch any further. And I think uh, just have part of me that 
thinks that we would have known about that right now. I know somebody on your board I meant, uh, said something, and he there was some question about the Florida game, whether he was hurt or not, and they said that I paraphrased whatever they said wrong. Uh, I don't intend to know the inner details about what's happening. So the person might have known somebody in the lighter family or whatever, what have you. What I meant to say was, and what I, the intention of what I was saying was, if he isn't going to endanger his future as a baseball pitcher, he will not pitch. That's what I meant. I'm, I'm, he's not going to be thrown out there in a situation where he's going to hurt his future. It's just not, uh, it hurts you in recruiting. It hurts you. Uh, well, it hurts you in recruiting more than it hurts you in anything. And then all of the guys on your staff start looking around their shoulder, turn around going, yeah, am I going to be next? So I don't think that's going to happen. And, for people to throw that at this staff, uh, this coaching staff is just totally inappropriate. Okay, I think all of us are operating on limited information. They have done a good job of keeping us quiet. That said, I have some information. I'm not going to go into detail. Everything that I have heard is more along the the lines of typical pitcher stuff. Like your arm doesn't feel great after you throw a lot of pitches, right? Which doesn't necessarily mean you're hurt. And you also get fatigued, and we've talked about COVID and just the fact that even without all that stuff, getting this deep into a season, you'd never pitched in high school like you're pitching on this kind of stage. So I guess the question I had, this is what I'd like to know, right? If there's not an injury in play, and I've not heard anything to indicate that there is, what is the bridge between okay, your arm doesn't feel great and doesn't, you know, to the point that you're not pitching, and that, that's self-evident at this point, right? What is, the, what is the bridge between that and an actual injury? In other words, there's always a moment that you're not hurt right up until the moment that you're hurt. And so how do you analyze what goes into where he is now, which, again, we don't know nearly all of it, to what, what's the risk of that if he's not hurt of it developing into something else. I don't know if that makes sense, but no, I think that's what we're all wondering, right? Yeah, and it just depends on if it's an elbow or an arm. If it if it's an elbow, usually those instances are, you saw that with the LSU pitcher this year. You saw that, um, you know, apparently at the Ole Miss series uh, this past weekend. It, it's, it's more of a feeling with, you know, when you have what happened with Hoagland, it's, it's a grabbing of the elbow. It's a gra- it's a, it's a sharp pain. Now you can strain your elbow. And what a lot of things is crazy is a lot of these kids are getting just Tommy John. It's just a routine thing. Like it's like getting a, getting your, um, getting your molars out, you know, your wisdom teeth out. Uh, you know, it's just kind of like, well, it's gonna, it's gonna be strained at some point. So I'm just going to get it done. So, once again, because of the way they've handled it, which I don't blame them, they're not like predators-esque, you know, that in hockey where you don't know what's it's an upper body injury or it's a lower leg injury. They don't, and they're tight lipped as all can be. And uh, it's you know, Tim's been very for he said Laboki, it's an elbow. Uh, and then someone asked him Tommy John, and he said yes. But uh, it, there is a fine line if it's if it's if it's you know you hope it's not like rotator cuff or if it's just a muscle issue or if it's elbow and, and each one of those, since we don't know, uh, that is, that is the mystery there. If, if it's a muscular thing, then, and you know, you, you can get them all checked out and I guarantee you they've had it checked out and, and, uh, whether it just be from someone to see when you take a look at this and see if it's something that's going to progress or not. So 
it, it usually on the elbow, and I hope this answers it, is, is something, it's a sudden, when you're talking about your UCL, your ulnar collateral ligament, it, it, that is something that it snaps or it tears and the pain is immense and you see an immediate grab of the elbow. Shoulder issues can be something that's just not feel right and you, and you wonder your velocity goes down and it's an impingement in your rotator cuff or it's somewhere that's muscular that got strained. And, and that's the difference between them. But since we don't know uh, exactly what it is and we could, we'd all be guessing right now. Changing subjects, uh, I asked the question that lit the match yesterday uh, <laughs> about injuries. <laughs> yeah. you were, I think that, that went a little viral. Right. I just I cackled when he we gave his answer. I was still laughing, I think, when he was on the next question. Just, just, I thought it was his sense of humor is so dry. And sometimes yeah. uh, just the way that he gets at things, I was tickled about his answer about the 50 scholarships and giving one to Maggie and – all right. Uh, that was, we we all had some fun with that one yesterday. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean of course, it shows. I mean, he's human. He he knows it. He hears it out there, and 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 uh, knows what everybody's saying. And I, I got a kick out of it too. I'm glad he said it. It was it was a perfect answer. Well, and and let's face it, the thing that's not talked about is, is you flip the scholarship question on its other side, and the thing is. How much are people paying to go to college? I would bet you. Wouldn't you think that their players are paying more to go to Vanderbilt, even with the scholarships, than everybody else at the other schools combined? Not oh, not yeah. everybody combined, but what I'm saying is, like, if you said, how much do the players on the roster pay out of pocket to come to Vanderbilt? I bet that total is higher than everybody else in the league. Yeah, and and for for people not knowing. I was told by a reliable source and, and uh, that, you know, some of the guys, the Sonny Grays and the David Prices of the world, who you would think everybody's just like, well, he's on a full ride or, you know, they're, they're, right? I mean, he's on a, he's those two top flight guys that got, they, no, 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 no. I mean, David Price was not on a full scholarship at Vanderbilt. Now, you, there's different things like Pell Grants and academic and all those, but I mean, those kids come to Vanderbilt knowing and the parents know that they're going to have to make a sacrifice financially, whether it be like you just said, probably more than they would if they went to Alabama, Auburn, Ole Miss, whatever, because I mean, in state Tennessee in state, I checked it the other day, uh, UT Knoxville's like 10,000 in state and out of state. It's like, you know, something ridiculous, like 39,000. A lot of these, they've gotten so heavy, uh, as far as out of state, in state, where it's just if you're going to come to Ole Miss and you're from Nashville, you're you're going to pay. Well, I think the difference is, and and correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm I'm pretty sure I heard this that now Ole Miss and Mississippi State are allowed to have their athletes get in-state tuition um, in somehow some loophole, rather than if you're from you know Florida and you go to Ole Miss, you have to pay in-state instead of out of state, which is a definite advantage, but when you're talking, so you're talking about $10,000 at UTK in Knoxville to, if you get in-state tuition, if you're a stud pitcher from Farragut, or if you're the stud pitcher from Knoxville Farragut and you come to Vanderbilt, somehow they've got to slice up. Uh, I think it's going to be 80,000 next year. I think we're cresting at $79,000. I think it's 79,000 and some change for full room, board, meals, all that at Vanderbilt. So you don't have to be a mathematician to figure that out, that that's a $70,000 swing 
between those two. And because they have limited number of scholarships, they're going to have to slice that up between you and the shortstop and the second baseman and a couple outfielders that, yeah, it, 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 people just don't get it. They just don't understand the numbers. I, when I have been around him, which I saw him briefly just in person after the first game against Alabama or the second game. No, I guess it was the first game. I don't remember now. No, it was the second game. It was Saturday because it was daylight. I'm all <laughs> over the place here. My goodness. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was terrible podcasting. Just between that and the Zoom calls, he seems really relaxed, which to me is maybe a little bit telling. Yeah, I, I think he knows that uh, he has a very young team, a very young, talented team. Uh, I think he knows that he has the, you know, when healthy, the best one-two pit a punch in college baseball on the mound. And, you know, uh, he, he he's enjoying himself. I think I, I saw him, um, you know, he did a couple, um, they weren't podcasts, they were Zoom calls during the pandemic. Uh, that he did for various companies, and and uh, I got sent the links, and and uh, they were outstanding. He was very relaxed. He had a very good demeanor. There wasn't a lot of panic. He was like, "This is what we're going through, and as a country, and in this community, and 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 so I think uh, you know he is as he's gotten older, he knows he's going to get you know each and every year, the way that, that they're rolling right now. And, it, and one day it'll end, maybe when, when he steps down or um, decides that it's time to leave. But he, he's not going to have down years when he sells what he can sell with the staff and what they've been putting out there for kids getting in pro ball and the academics and, and the way he kind of fathers them for four years. He and Maggie kind of as a team and the staff that, that really, that, you know, they, they pick, I mean, that's easy to say. They, they, they don't really recruit, they pick who they want. And that gets kind of, uh, makes their job easier because, you know, they can, I was looking at the recruiting class for next year and they've got another one, two or three in the country recruiting class. So, you know, those who sit there and try to say, you know, what's going to happen when lighter, you know, what's going to happen when Leiter and Rocker leave next year? You know, we're going to miss it. Well, I mean, you, all you got to do is just look and see who he's recruited. I mean, he's got, uh, you know, um, people like, uh, you know, Christian Little came a year early, but you've got, you know, Michael Morales and you have Carter Holton and you have, you know, Miles Langhorn. I mean, all these kids, five-star Grayson Carter, these pitchers. So, you know, in that group, all you need is you need, maybe there will be another lighter and a rocker and there'll be freshmen again. And it just, it really just turns over every year. And that's gotta be a great feeling when you don't have to go out and beg. You're really just, you're, you're handpicking. You're sitting there going around the country going who fits with my group who you don't have to worry about the culture. You don't have to worry about who's going to fit in the locker room. Cause you've done all that screening. You've talked to the, their summer coaches, you've talked to their teachers and that has to be the beauty of it. And I'll, I'll say this about Tim. When Mike Baxter played, um, it, when Mike Baxter played, he was a junior before he left. I went to one of those um, banquets at Vanderbilt when they used to have them in the old stadium club, uh, the preseason banquets. And as much as you people think of Tim's genius as far as his bench coaching and his rec recruiting and his baseball mind and what he does off the field and teaching about life skills and all that. 
Mike Baxter said, and this was coming from a kid, again, he was still in school. He said, as much as that, he is an absolute genius when it comes to divvying up the financial piece for the for the team. It is, he said, it's almost like a corporation spending money down to the last dime, and he knows how to do it, and he it is a it is a practice that he has to do every year, and he's got it down to a T. And I think that's what makes him successful because the money matters. The money matters that the parents going to have to come up, but the way he convinces parents to say you might have to get fifteen or twenty thousand dollars to come here to play, but I'm going to put you in a situation where you're going to get drafted. Uh, not that that's the end all be all for him, but that you will make it up just like he did with Sonny Gray and David Price when those guys aren't getting full ride years ago, those guys wouldn't even sniffed Vanderbilt if they hadn't gotten a full ride. I know that former coaching staffs before Corbin got laughed out of living rooms when they said, well, we're going to offer you, offer you a half scholarship. We feel really good about it. And they walked out of the room and they, they get a phone call that night and say, no, coach, we're out. You, we're not getting a full ride. Tim Corbin doesn't have to worry about that. Well, Chip, I don't understand how it's a problem when he's got 54 rides. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Well, <laughs> once again, that was, that was humorous. What do you think Maggie's scholarship is going for? I don't know, but, you know, she she is uh, – Maggie's involved. I think she's earned her scholarship after – maybe he just gave it to her. He's after however many years, almost two decades. Uh, Maggie's Maggie has um, – you know, those the baseball wives <clears throat> and the partnerships that they have – is I can see why you got a lot of people who, uh, you know, the travel that is involved in recruiting. And, and you're hearing some whispers around about Maneri down at LSU that perhaps that's a situation where just that whole recruiting trail of dealing with that and dealing with the travel ball parents and some of that. And, and it's just, it gets tough. But I, I guarantee you it is a luxury when, when, if Tim Corbin, and he's talked about the past, if he doesn't like a kid's, if, if the kid's going to be a problem, there's a dozen more behind him, and they just go find the next one because he, he doesn't have to deal with that. And he's earned that right because of his success, so uh, good for him. Let's get a few mailbag questions and get you out of here. The mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Call Josh today, 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshmintonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about him on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Okay, Door King says, what do you think is going on with Lighter? We already answered that. How do you expect this team to perform in tournaments? To me, that is a question that's got to be predicated by what is it that they're going to have, and I think the next couple of weekends will be a little bit more telling. Yeah, and and what you, you know, as far as super regional versus regional, and I'll just repeat what I said before. I think it'll be Vanderbilt will be a much tougher out in a super uh, than they would be in a regional just because of the extra game. So. I mean, looking down the pike, that's the same thing, you know, an SEC tournament, how this team's going to handle it, especially if the staff feels like that lighter and that crew and some of his young guys have hit the wall. They might not put as much emphasis on on the SEC tournament. Now, look, 
he if he's going down there and playing a game, I don't care if he's playing in in a, a city park in some rural town in Jackson, you know, in West Tennessee. Tim Corbin's going to try to win the game, but how you approach it as far as pitching order and all that will tell you as far as as, as if they're going to say we're going to not win with all costs, but this is something that's important. Might be a little different this year with the, some injuries that they've had, as, seeing how they approach it as far as how they do the ro- rotation down in Hoover. Uh, that's going to be interesting to see how it works. So, again, tougher out in a re- super. you got to get to the super first, but I think it'll be a tougher out in a super just because of the shorter, you know, you just need to win two. You got Maldonado who, you know, uh, you got a, a, a closer who could pitch in two of those three games too, and that matters. If you got a regional, you're kind of limited if you go to four to five games if you got a closer. But as well as Maldonado is pitching, that also bodes well for a super regional type atmosphere. B3 Vandy asks, who is stepping up to become the third starting pitcher when we get to postseason? You know, if you would have asked me that three weeks ago when I, uh, I texted you and Riley pitched in the game against Mississippi State, and I was so frustrated, and I was like, here we go again. But, man, the way he pitched seven innings this past weekend, struck out nine, walked two, I think you got to give the edge to him. You, you know, you also, you know, they also have uh, the luxury of of having some guys getting healthier and pitching a lot more um, innings and, you know, you've got, you know, some younger kids who are finding their way. So, you know, Riley, depending on lighter situation, you got to remember Riley pitched game two instead of lighter, but, you know, Christian little, I think did he mention that he was probably going to be the, the game three starter? Didn't that is what he said. He said little was basically going to be there three, which I was a little surprised at that. Yeah. But if, if, if a healthy lighter and a rocker, you got rocker lighter Riley, perhaps, um, since uh, Raleigh through game two. So it could be, I think it'd be a mixture of between, um, you know, little Riley, somewhat Schultz, but Schultz had that struggle the other night um, uh, just in that one inning, but he ended up getting out of it. Um, I was a little surprised when he talked about it. And that's another, well, but the UNH, you know, UNA, excuse me, Northern Alabama. I didn't realize they were seven and 39, Chris. Yeah. That's uh, a I mean, bad that, team. That, yeah, and and of course they pitch their weekend starters uh, in the game. They're they're kind of out. They're not even qualified for their tournament. They're just closing the season out at Auburn. I think I saw next week. So they had the luxury to do that. But that was a little little disappointing. But that old thing that I look at every single time when you strike out when this team strikes out more than ten times, they're going to struggle. And they struck out twelve times against uh, UNA. Uh, when they strike out six and five times as a team total, like they did against Alabama, they're going to do pretty well. And they struck out six uh, in the nine to six win. Uh, they struck out seven times in the six to two win on Friday night. So uh, putting the ball in play is going to be this team's issue. And I, I do like the fact that Isaiah Thomas was hurt and he's getting a little healthier and you got Colwick who's coming back and he's getting healthy and that gives him some options. And then you have the situation uh, with, you know, the research having uh, Laniv show up in right field and doing well and in doing so. So a lot of things are Cooper Davis, I think is getting healthier. He had a pretty good, decent weekend last week, went two for three in the six to two win. You like, he looks a more, a little bit more of like he himself. So, 
the ball is kind of rolling down in their favor of getting some guys back. And if Leiter can be that extra piece that, you know, he wasn't healthy and now he is, then I think this is all rolling towards a May that Vanderbilt fans are looking forward to and have looking forward to when they kind of surge up and start playing their best ball. VU65 says, you think Vandy can go very far if it doesn't get six or more quality innings out of both Kumar and Leiter in the postseason? Depends on which tournament it is. Uh, like I said before, if it's a super regional, I'm not worried about it because of bullpen depth. But, yeah, that's a little concerning, and everybody starts doing the pitch count. Like I told you know, two weeks ago, you start sitting there going, all right, how many pitchers does Rocker have? How many pitches does Leiter have in his outing when he gets the fifth or sixth? But I think it would be nice for those guys to push that on out, and I think of the two, Rocker would be the one who they're going to probably let extend a little bit. But I think if Jack Leiter, I can guarantee you this, um, he will be on a short leash this weekend if he pitches uh, for sure. But I think of the two, you get a Friday night and set the tone with Rocker, I think uh, um, that that should be okay. But, yeah, of, of the two, I think Rocker has a chance to extend a little bit. And you got to look back on his record, what he did last year and what he did in the College World Series. I think they'll probably push him a little further out. Um, but, yeah, it, it's a concern if they only get four or five or five. Um, that, that's You want to get six, seven out of those guys and leave it to get the bullpen to get, you know, six to nine outs is the goal. Glacial Pace finishes us. Ah, excuse me, finishes us up here. With Rocker and Leiter gone after this year and the inconsistent bullpen performance we've seen so far this year, what's a way too early read on the quality of the starting pitching next year? Can we can we not enjoy this year, really? I mean... No, no, man. <laughs> I know, Everybody's got to worry and no, panic. I know. That's, I know. that's part it's of it. Like, it's like, you know, uh, it's like Alabama fans, which I, I liken Vanderbilt baseball fans to now, which is a good thing. I'm not getting on Vanderbilt fans, but... You know, what happens, uh, you know, they, they when Tua graduated from Alabama quarterback and who's going to be our next quarterback and who's next in line. And and the, and when you, as I think it just harkens back to our uh, conversation we have when you're in a reloading, when when those recruiting rankings start going down to where instead of Vanderbilt's number, instead of being number one, two or three in the country, they're getting a 20th recruiting class. I think you should worry about that. But there are some really and, and I usually don't do this, Chris, but I was sitting in my car waiting on my son uh, soccer practice out in Franklin yesterday. So I just looked at the recruiting class next year and we've got 20 commitments, which blew my mind uh, and have, you know, five of them probably won't show up to campus because of the draft. But there are some super, super studs coming in here. And and I think you will find that some freshmen step in next year Uh and I just and, and as I talked about before, when I said it's all about speed and build right now, let me read you just real quick the the size of these pitchers that are coming in next year: six four, six five, six five, six four, six four, six five, six six. The sizes of the staff coming in next year: uh, freshmen, freshmen in high, uh, freshmen in college next year, and they're from all over. And we got some kids here locally. You got a kid up in, in Smyrna who's supposed to be really good, and you got a kid from Atlanta, a lefty who's talented. But yeah, it, it, I wouldn't worry too much about that because in the college game, the way it is now, it's a three-year process, and your your freshmen have got to be ready to step in and play. 
And we've seen that along the way. I mean, you saw that Christian Little was a little bit unusual in the fact that he's younger. But usually the, the, the way the lay of the land is they come in like Kumar Rocker did. They come in, they pitch a little bit early. By the third or fourth weekend, they're in the starting rotation. I'm talking about the super studs. Whereas this year is a little bit different with Leiter. had the COVID year, and he stepped right in. And if you remember correctly, Leiter did not even – was not – I don't know if Leiter starts the Ole Miss series in 2020 that got canceled for COVID. I don't think he starts that series. They were kind of building him up slowly, and then you knew it was going to kind of come. So I, I, I think there's going to be somebody in that group that I mentioned, that some of those uh, guys coming in with the number one recruiting class or top five at least – I don't think there's anything to worry about. And you can just look and see you got Christian Little, you got some guys who got Laboki coming back, hopefully from Tommy John. There's enough arms in there to be a formidable team. Were you reading the heights of pitchers or were you reading the candidates to start at the four for the basketball team next year? <laughs> right. I mean, it, it is incredible uh, and to see that. But um, once again, it just goes to show you how um, – you know, Sonny Gray and Tim, I was at somewhere and Tim talked about Sonny Gray blows all stats as far as height of pitchers in the major leagues who have, have had long careers. And Sonny has been doing it. For, how many how many years has Sonny Gray been pitching pro ball? Probably Oh, wouldn't six? he make it in 14, 15 to the majors? He left. Yeah. 11 was his last year here. Yeah. Gosh, it's been a decade. That's crazy. Right, but 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 you look at there is a stat, and I wish I knew the technical part of it and the exact number, but the number of pro baseball pitchers that, that make it to the major leagues under that are over five ten, that that are under five ten, it's astronomical how low that number is, and uh, you know so you you got to have and Sonny Gray is bulldog, he's he was going to get it done, his velocity, his work ethic. His tenacity, he did that. But in the way it is, the world, if you knew the exact number, you would be shocked of how few guys that are over, under 5'10 actually make it to the big leagues as pitchers. It's, it's a very, very small number. Chip, I'm going to end the podcast, let you talk a little bit about your real estate business and with some closing thoughts. And for bonus points, uh, any tips to get realtors off the phone? I've been getting cold calls like crazy to sell my property. Some of them don't get the hint very well. I hate to just hang up, but we're we're about getting to that point. But uh, in any case, finish this out here. Well, I mean, and you know, you're you're right. And and the amazing thing that I'm hearing in the real estate business today is a lot of people out there want to sell their house. Where are they going to go? Where's Chris right. Lee going to go? Where's Chris Lee going to go? You know, and 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 not overpay. And that's the market we're in right now, is the fact that a lot of people are out there sitting on the fence saying, "I would like to sell my house, but I'm going to have to pay a lot of money to go to a comparable house." So it's only benefits the people who are, you know, if you're moving to like you know Chattanooga or some uh, some place that's a smaller town where the cost of living is not as high. But even Chattanooga is a hot market. But uh, our agency, Frederick and Clark Realty, been around for 180 years, and I, and I just ask your um, podcast listeners to uh, give us a chance if you are in that market of selling uh, or buying. We won't be calling you, cold calling you like Chris says. We don't do that. 
uh, unless we have someone who's going to give you a boatload of money and and give you that opportunity. But that's going that's the market we're in right now, folks. And uh, you have to have someone on your team. If you have a real estate experience, if you have if you've done real estate before, yeah, you might be able to handle it. But really, in this market that we're in, you need a professional who can guide you along the way and can navigate you through the landmines that are whether you're selling or you're buying because there are a lot of houses that you need the guidance. If you're a seller, you need to know the pricing parameters, where you can get your most value because there's a lot of hot houses that are going for well above the list price and you need guidance to know, well, you don't want to shoot it out of the park. You want to price it correctly where you're going to hit that sweet spot. On the buy side, you're going to need the guidance as far as, all right, how do I make this offer? How do I make my offer better than this guy who's sitting in the car in the driveway at the open house? And that's where our 180 agents come into play. We're Vanderbilt folks. We've got our three principal owners, Whit Clark, who's the Clark of Frederick and Clark. He's a Vanderbilt graduate. His family um, was very generous to the Vanderbilt baseball program years ago, and they endowed one of the first baseball scholarships, the Cotton Clark Scholarship, which is named after his father. Witt is a principal of the firm, an owner, big Vanderbilt fan. My brother went to Vanderbilt, big Vanderbilt fan, graduated in class of 79. Myself, I played baseball. My dad, my late father, played basketball, the first game in the Vanderbilt gym in 1952. So when you deal with us, I'm talking to my target market here, you're dealing with Vanderbilt folks, Vanderbilt-driven people who are also uh, professional agents who care about your next move, whether you're buying or selling. So give us a call. T check a look at our website. It's frederickandclark.com, or you can call me personally. You can call Whit Clark personally on the phone. I know he listens to this podcast. He was thrilled. He didn't know I did these, and I sent it to him, and he says, make sure you send this to me. So shout out to Whit. He went to Omaha with me a couple years ago. But um, so anyway, Vanderbilt folks, we can help you with your search and give us a call, give us a try. And again, our number is 615-327-4800. Looking forward to this weekend, my closing comments. Uh, just, I wish I could be there. I think it's going to be great. Uh, Ole Miss, they're, you know, they're passionate, uh, confident, a little cocky, aggressive. That's the way they play. Bianco uh, plays, uh, coaches them that way. He's a very talented coach. I think you're going to see a great series. Hopefully we come out of there winning two out of three or win the series or go down there and, and uh, while they're down and take them. But uh, I think it's going to be a hell of a series, and I'm looking forward to watching it. Yeah, same here. Chip, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next week when, man, it's crazy. There'll be one week to go in the SEC regular season. Look forward to talking to you then. So do I. All right, he's Chip Frederick. I'm Chris Lee. Thanks for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We'll be back with more of these next week.